0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. This is episode number 12, and if you listened to the previous episode, you noted that it was a bit of a departure from the usual fare that I offer in these podcasts, i.e. looking at, talking about, examining, arguing about Islamist extremism, when I looked at Hindu extremism in India in the wake of the election of Narendra Modi as India's prime minister. I called him president in the last podcast, that of course course is incorrect, he's prime minister, not president. I wanna go along the same pathway today and look at a different form of extremism that is not the most obvious or the most discussed in world media and opinion, and that is Buddhist extremism. Your first question may be, wait, Buddhist extremism? Isn't that an oxymoron? How can Buddhists be extremists? I hope to show that in fact Buddhist extremism is a real phenomenon in a number of countries and is quite violent, even though we tend to disassociate violence from Buddhism. The three countries I wish to focus on in this podcast are Myanmar, or Burma as it's also known, Thailand, and Sri Lanka. Let's start with Myanmar. This country in Southeast Asia does not get a lot of attention in the news very often, but for those who do follow events worldwide, you're probably familiar with the situation, the unfortunate situation, of an ethnic group that lives in Northwestern Myanmar called the Rohingya. The Rohingya are Muslims who live in a Buddhist-majority country. And over the past couple of years, upwards of one million Rohingya Muslims have fled Myanmar, sometimes in very dangerous journeys by boat down to Thailand and Malaysia, but more often across the border into Bangladesh. Bangladesh is just to the west of Myanmar. And there they are languishing in refugee camps under horrendous conditions. They are wearing out their welcome with Bangladeshi authorities. To be honest, there is a concern that there could be Islamist extremism amongst the Rohingya population. There certainly is at least one terrorist group known as the ARSA, which has carried out acts in an Islamist extremist vein. But for the most part, these are legitimate refugees. These are people who fled their homes when the Myanmar military came in, burned down villages, and killed people wantonly. This is a true refugee-slash-immigrant tragedy on a vast, vast biblical scale. What was interesting about this particular crisis is the role that was played by very, very prominent Buddhist religious leaders in Myanmar. The material I want to talk about today is reflected in much greater detail in my forthcoming book, When Religion Kills, which will be published by Lynn Rainer this fall. But when we look at is or, sorry, Buddhist extremism, I'm so used to saying Islamist extremism, when we look at Buddhist extremism in Myanmar. There is one organization that we have to talk about because it plays a significant role in fomenting hatred and in instilling violence amongst Myanmar's Buddhists, largely against their Muslim minority population. And that organization used to be called the Mabata. It has since been renamed as the Buddha Dhamma Prahita Foundation. And it is led by a man who has earned a very strange nickname, not a very wanted nickname, I would think. He has been called the Buddhist Bin Laden. And he's a, he's a monk called Uwudatu. I apologize for my pronunciation. I don't speak Burmese at all. He is essentially called upon his fellow Buddhists in Myanmar to stand up against the country's Muslims. He's been a monk since the age of 14. And he has long been, uh, I guess, a xenophobe. I guess is the best way to describe him. But he has been trying to marginalize the Muslim population in Myanmar. And I want to give you some quotes that are attributed to Mr. This monk, Mr. to which show just how extreme he is. So these are quotes that date back uh, some recently, some not so recently. Quote, I am defending my loved one like you would defend your loved one. I am only warning people about Muslims. Consider it like if you had a dog. That would bark at strangers coming to your house it is to warn you i am like that dog i bark he dismissed allegations of mass rape against rohingya women which of course is in fact taking place saying this is impossible their bodies are too disgusting yeah as if another quote i don't know how you tame a wild elephant in your country but the first thing you do first thing you do is take away all their food and water Then when the elephant is starving and weak, you give him a little bit of water and teach him one word. Then you give him a little bit of food and teach him some more. That's how we tame the elephants here. This is actually quite concerning because if you followed any genocides over the world over the past uh, centuries, you know that one of the first stages of genocide is to dehumanize the population you're targeting. So, for example, during the Rwanda genocide in the early 1990s, You would see words used uh, by the Hutus against the Tutsi, such as vermin and cockroaches and rats. And this use of terminology helps to, in fact, uh, dehumanize people to the extent where average people can see them as targets, as legitimate people to kill because they're not human. So this kind of language is very, very, very worrisome. There's also this myth that that, uh, the Buddhist bin Laden has made about Muslim men raping Buddhist women, uh, forced conversion, sexual harassment, etc, etc. He's also called the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights uh, a bitch because of her words against what was happening in Myanmar. In fact, he called her a big mouth bitch. Uh, He has called Rohingya Muslims mad dogs and troublemakers. It goes on and on and on and on. So the problem here is that this particular man, he's been sanctioned and censured on several occasions. He actually spent some time in prison, I believe, uh, fairly recently, but he's been released. He has fomented and led to a whole series of attacks against minority Muslims by majority Buddhist population. You can always ask the question, is this truly Buddhist extremism or is it in fact more ethno-national extremism? And this is a really hard question to answer. I, I think it's complicated. I do think that there are elements of ethno-nationalism as well as religion. But the fact that such a leading figure within the Buddhist monk population of Myanmar is at the forefront of these particular remarks indicates to me at least that we are in fact talking about Buddhist extremism and not simply ethno-nationalist extremism. Again, I understand that for a lot of people this is really problematic and that we don't want to associate Buddhism with violence. Uh, Unfortunately, other religions are doing that uh, very well. Thank you very much. We've talked a lot, as I mentioned earlier, about Islamist extremism. But to me, this is another example of how any faith any belief system any ideology can be co-opted it can be transformed it can be warped in such a way that justifies the use of violence and what's happening in Myanmar whereby the majority population is carrying out heinous acts of violence against the muslim minority is not only an act of Yeah, we will call it state terrorism because these are state actors. It's the military forces carrying out the the burning of villages, carrying out the cold-blooded murder of of men, women, and children, carrying out the rape of women, forcing people to flee into Bangladesh and into perilous voyages in, in in the seas to Malaysia and Thailand. This is terrorism, and this is Buddhist terrorism. Unfortunately, it is not the only place where Buddhist extremists have been calling for violence. So let's move on to Thailand another Buddhist majority country. What is not as well known is that uh, Thailand is made up of several provinces, 19 I believe. And there are three provinces in the south of the country which borders Malaysia, which are, are all in fact Muslim majority provinces. In fact, they historically these provinces belong to a, a sultanate which was called the Patani Sultanate and uh, more recently in history become part of Thailand. What is not that well known is that there's been a low-level insurgency in southern Thailand for decades. Upwards of six, 7,000 people have been killed. It gets into the news once in a while. There's a car bombing. There's a shooting. But it really is sort of the kind of thing that's on the margins of interest as, as far as most people are concerned. But what is interesting is just like in Myanmar, we do have Buddhist monks who have make given speeches and urge people to use violence against the muslims in southern thailand here's a quote from a buddhist monk and i'm not going to even attempt to, to pronounce his name because i have absolutely zero thai but he has said the following things quote what i want to do is to make buddhists who are still sleeping and think things are beautiful i want to make them aware of what's going on muslims aren't trying to invade just the three southern provinces they are trying to occupy the whole country. Quote The next plan is preparing the fuel to put in the bottle to make a burning bomb. Not only my own, but Buddhists from the whole nation are going to do it as well. It's to throw somewhere, nobody knows where. I'm just waiting for the time when a monk dies. Now I just keep distributing my ideology on social media. Quote, if Buddhist patience runs out, be prepared to be blasted until nothing is left. We will give them the same conditions as the Rohingya in Myanmar. Again, uh, is this Buddhist extremism? This is a high-ranking monk in Bangkok at one of the major temples. And this is the kind of language that he talks about. He talks about killing. He talks about the fact that Muslims don't belong in Thailand. He spreads these myths, and we see it all over the world. The myths of, of Muslim migration, the myths of... Muslims trying to forcibly convert people. The myth of Muslims trying to have large families to take over populations. We saw that in the previous podcast in India, where Hindu extremists talk about love jihad. Where Muslim men are marrying Hindu women, forcibly converting them, and having large families to replace the Hindu majority. As if in a nation of about 1 billion people, in which 90% are Hindus, there's any chance of them becoming a minority. But that's the kind of language that is used. Finally, uh, I want to move on to, to Sri Lanka. Of course, Sri Lanka has been in the news uh, an awful lot lately for um, all the wrong reasons. We talked about the massacre in Sri Lanka a few podcasts ago, and of course, historically, when we when we spoke about Sri Lanka in in terms of extremism or terrorism, we were referring to the Tamil Tigers. This was the multi generational civil war between the minority Tamils and the majority Sinhalese uh, in Sri Lanka, which ended in late. Two thousands, The attack in, in Colombo and other places on Easter Sunday showed that Islamist extremism was also a problem in the country. But there is also a group or several groups in Sri Lanka that happen to be Buddhist extremists. And the one group that comes to the fore or to the attention of people most often is known as the BBS, the Buddha Balasena, which translates into the Army of Buddhist Power. Created back in 2012. And these this group, this BBS, uh, holds a special revulsion for the country's Muslims. Again, some more quotes. They say that Muslims are undermining Sri Lanka's Buddhist heritage. Muslims are breeding like pigs. There's a mixed metaphor for you, since pigs are, of course, unclean Islam as they are in Judaism. Here's a quote from a pamphlet that the BBS put out. I'll, call, I'll cite it at length. Do not sell your land and businesses to the Muslims, they are able to buy things for higher prices because of the money they get from their mosque in the Middle East for the breeding of their kind. You and I will die soon, but it is our sacred duty to save this sacred land for the future generations. We do not need multicultural, multi-religious ideas. There has to be one Sinhala Buddhist country in the world, that is our country. Again, we also see this notion about uh, slaughtering of meat as being uh, wrong. We saw the same accusations, of course, by Hindu extremists in, in India. And there's an awful lot of fake news. Bottom line is that there have been a number of attacks by Buddhist extremists against Sri Lanka's Muslims. And the most famous one occurred in the World Heritage City of Anuradhapura, In September 2011 where a mob egged on by Buddhist extremist monks demolished a Muslim shrine. They were waving Buddhist flags, they burned a green banner which of course is associated with Islam and just like we saw in India, the monks justified the attack saying that the shrine had been built on land which had been given to the Buddhists 2000 years ago as if anybody had any record that that actually happened. The BBS, this organization, has gone against halal markings on food, claiming that this is, in fact, a way for Muslims to introduce Sharia law into Sri Lanka. You hear that a lot. Muslims want to bring Sharia law into our country. And there have been riots and all kinds of things. And this is really interesting because in the wake of what happened on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka, the horrific attacks on the churches, more than 250 dead. There are, in fact, concerns about more—I wouldn't call them pogroms—but more attacks against Sri Lanka's Muslims. Uh, I've been reading a lot of articles lately in a variety of, of online papers that say that um, Sri Lankan Muslims are very afraid. They're afraid for their lives. They're afraid for their livelihood, as Buddhist extremists identify them as a threat. They're going to use. They are using the terrorist attack. To justify carrying out vengeance attacks against Muslims, etc., etc. Again, how Buddhist is this? Well, just as in the case of Thailand and in Myanmar, the fact that we had Buddhist senior Buddhist monks, religious officials at the vanguard, at the forefront of these particular riots, these particular attacks indicates to me that they are in fact Buddhist in nature. Yes, we cannot eliminate the fact that there are ish, there are elements of ethno-nationalism. Muslims have been in Sri Lanka for a very long time, but it is a majority Buddhist country. We've had the long-standing animosity between the Sin- Sinhalese and the Tamils. The Tamils, of course, are largely Hindu. The Sinhalese are Buddhists. This is one more example of religious extremists, identifying another religious group as not belonging as not being true fill in the blank ties myanmar sri lankans etc and the fact that the religion these people represent which they practice poses a threat to the majority population whether it's through marriages or conversions or laws or customs these extremists and their religious leaders will use all of this to call for violence, whether it's the destruction of mosques, whether it's the raising or or burning of shops, whether it's the harassment, beating, or even killing of people. This is all part and parcel, I would say, of a pattern. We see it certainly with Islamist extremists. A lot of the so-called leaders of these movements have religious backgrounds. They have very good knowledge of literature, sacred literature, sacred symbols, where the faith has been, what the faith stands for. We saw it with Hindu extremists in India last podcast, and I would argue we're seeing the exact same thing with Buddhist extremism in these three countries. Before I leave this podcast today, I'd like to make an offer to my listeners. A lot of you have listened to the podcast, and I've, I've received some good feedback, so thank you very much for that. Two or three podcasts for now, I'd like to dedicate an entire session to you. Any questions you might have, any comments, any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to contact me, and I'll give you the contact information quite a bit, but I'd like to de- dedicate an entire program to what you want to hear. I've got lots of things to talk about. I've got a whole list of podcasts to do going forward. But I think it's important for me to recognize that the reason I'm doing these podcasts is not to hear the sound of my own voice, but to provide what I hope is a useful perspective on terrorism, that of a former intelligence analyst. I know there's lots of opinions out there. There's lots of comments. There are lots of views on things. And if you've got a particularly strong view on something and you want, you want to talk about it, or rather you want me to weigh in on it, please let me know. So there's several ways to reach me. You can certainly leave comments uh, at the end of these podcasts that are being hosted on Podbean. You can reach me at borealisrisk@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Borealis Saves. I, you can find me on LinkedIn. And you can find me on Facebook. I'd love to hear what you think of these podcasts. Good, bad, neutral. I really do enjoy your feedback. And I look forward to engaging you moving forward on issues of mutual interest. Until next time, hopefully in a fortnight, stay safe. It may sound absurd.